0: Welcome to The Neighborhood. My name is Michael Lacey, husband, father, and host of The Wealthy Neighbor Show, where every week we bring you an amazing interview or a message to inspire you as you build wealth for your family. Thanks for stopping by The Neighborhood. Now let's jump right in with today's message. Welcome to The Neighborhood. Today, Madison and Sky McClure are stopping by to share their just awesome financial story. I mean, this couple married when they were very young and they very quickly found themselves not just deep in debt, but they also realized that they were living in two completely different worlds when it came to managing their money. We're going to talk about not only how they got on the same page with money, but they're also going to share exactly how they were able to pay off $106,000 worth of debt in only 21 months. I am so excited for you guys to hear from this fun, energetic couple. So first, let me just say thank you, Madison and Skye, for stopping by the neighborhood today. I really appreciate it. And so now the first question I have to ask you guys is, how did you even meet?
1: We actually met in high school. We graduated with the Wiley High School, which is a, a suburb of DFW, Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, we met there and we were in a show together. We were a couple hours of theater arts nerd. She was a choir nerd. And so we did the musical Grease together. And that's kind of how we met and where our love blossomed.
2: He was Danny and I was Cha-Cha. And we had that big dance scene. And so we had to rehearse a lot and spend a lot of time together. Mm. And uh, we started dating and we've been together ever since.
0: Wow. That's an incredible (laughs) story. So you guys are like all American high school sweethearts here.
2: I guess. Something
0: like that. (laughs) So, I mean, after high school, did you guys like go to the same college? Kind of, how did you manage your relationship from that point? So
2: I'm a year younger than him and he was going to go out to California and try to make it as an actor, but I convinced him to stay local. I can't believe you brought that up. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) so he went to the local community college where I did my senior year in high school. And then we went off to a four-year college together and we went to the same university. We got Mm -hmm. married right when we graduated because we graduated college at the same time we just meticulously planned our life around our relationship
1: (laughs) did you say you convinced me Uh uh-huh okay yeah she convinced (laughs) me (laughs) I couldn't deal with, I actually went out to L.A. with a buddy of mine to Beverly Hills just for like a week or two over the summer after graduating, and I was just so homesick for her specifically. I was like, I can't do this. I don't, whatever, I don't care whatever I do. I just want to be here with her. But actually, rewind just a second, back in high school, we took those little uh, love matchmaking kind of tests around Valentine's Day, and of course, we were in two different grades, uh, but we we both took those tests, and we both got each other's number one matches out of, it was a big school too, like. Like, and we didn't really know each other. We just kind of knew of each other. We had we shared some similar friends. Uh, so I always like to come back to that. But that's a, kind of destined to be as cheesy as that sounds. That sounds super cheesy when I say that, um, <laughs> But I think that's so like, cool. Like, <laughs> I mentioning. Uh, no, but, yeah, I love like, it. I love it. <laughs> like Madison said, we, uh, we stuck around for community college. I did while she finished up high school. And then we went to the great University of North Texas, which is just north of Dallas.
0: I saw this awesome Instagram post that you guys made a little bit ago. It was kind of a flashback and you were like, this is the last time that we were debt free. Talk to me about that time and then how you found yourself in so much debt and how much debt you ended up
2: with. Yeah, so I think for, it's same for the both of us. We don't come from any grandeur where we come from two working families who just kind of live the average middle class life. Uh, both of our parents still are paying on their student loans. Um, So we just, we didn't know any different. We just thought that's what you do. You go to school, you take out loans, you pay on them the rest of your life. So Mm -hmm. as we're heading to school, we both take out student loans. And I was 18. He was nineteen. He paid for his first year of uh, community college with cash, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just what you did, and there was no questions about it. No anything. I graduated in three years. He graduated in four. Th- yeah, so four all together. And by the time it was all said and done, he was an RA, so he had a little less than me because um, he didn't take out for living expenses. And so I think he ended up with twenty two thousand for undergrad. I did take out loans for the living expenses, and so I ended up with closer to thirty four. And nobody really batted an eye at it. They're just like, okay, now you get a job and you start paying on them. Mm. And he got a job with university. And so we both got to get our master's degree for free, pretty much, which is great. Yeah. Um, so we just were paying very, you know, the bare minimums on our student loans after we got married, after we graduated undergrad. And that was like twenty five dollars a month or something crazy like that. So literally no movement in going down. And then as soon as I graduated with or we graduated with our masters and I got a big girl job, we financed a car.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so now you're moving on we, up. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. So in the span of uh four years, we had two degrees and two cars. And that was the bulk of what our
1: debt was.
0: Yeah. So you guys graduate and you have these student loans, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you got married shortly after that. During that time in college, did you guys have any kind of talks about money or conversations about your finances or what you plan to do going forward?
1: You know, um, so like Dave Ramsey says, there's a spender and a saver, you know, the nerd and the free spirit. I'm definitely the free spirit um, and the spender. And I just, I didn't want to hear it. And I think there were a few times, of course, when Madison would want to talk about it together. And I don't think I was, maybe she can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think I was ever rude. Or yeah, mean
2: it wasn't about like it, any malice or um, It was more like, la, 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 yeah, la, it was. Out of, side, out of mind. You take, you deal with. <laughs> it things, was one of those quintessential,
1: you, uh, one of those quintessential in one ear, at the other topics that mm-hmm. I just kind of gave lip service to. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. What? Whatever. That's fine. That's great. I don't really. We can talk about this later. So we never really had that. Those serious money conversations. We never, at least together. I know she did by herself, but we never looked at all of our finances, our debts, our liabilities, any assets we had, which were zero. We never looked at those uh, together and just got a broad snapshot, nor did we sit down with a strategy or plan at a, b- the beginning of our marriage. So there was no game plan. Like like Madison said, we just rolled right through kind of how you're supposed to do things, college, marriage. You got student loans, okay, time to finance a car, get in your first apartment and start stressing about how you're going to buy a house and get into a house. So no, to answer your question, we <laughs> really didn't. Of course, I know everyone in these financial journey kind of um, as segments are like, oh, if only. We could have done things differently in the past. Of course, we would have done it differently too, but just like everyone else, we, we never really did.
0: So Madison, I have a question for you specifically. You've kind of been labeled as the, uh, you know, the more organized one when it comes to the finances. And so how did you feel trying to have those conversations and really kind of not getting anywhere with that?
2: I would say uh, at the beginning, I really didn't have an issue with it. I would say from year, when we first got married to about year five, I was just like, this is what we're going to do. And he'd be like, okay, that's fine. But year five is when we started kind of moving more towards getting into a home. And uh, once we really got in a home, I felt the burden of the weight of not only our student loans, not only our car loans, but now the weight of this home. It, w- it wasn't until then where I was like, we have to do something else and you have to listen to me. <laughs> and so, you know, I'd say the first five years is like, okay, this is just what we're going to do. And he was just like, okay, that's fine. And it wasn't until I was like, this is a level red emergency. Please listen to him. We have to work together until he's like, OK, OK, what's happening?
0: Eventually you came around, Sky. So for both of you, I mean, what did it take for you guys to, to come together and be on the same page?
2: I would say it wasn't one specific conversation. I would say that we had the code red threat level midnight conversation probably five times before he was like, okay, so this is a real thing. We need to work together on this.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a culmination leading up to a couple of acute conversations towards the end there where I started to see the red flags Uh, and a bit about, you know, my journey specifically that informs where we got to. Madison after grad school jumped right into the medical field, her professional job where she felt like she belonged and um, she was doing wonderful things there. So she felt like she was set in a career. And I was still even after my master's struggling um in the education sector and wanting to be maybe in the business or private sector still trying to find my way and bouncing around because of that in many different entry-level positions and receiving those entry-level salaries and never sticking with one thing and then and moving up in the in that pay grade in that industry um so i really struggled with identity in my career in i um, not earning as much as i had wanted to earn and then stepping back then that's when these conversations we moved into this house we we did the really dumb thing of like Like, what's the smallest amount we can put a down payment on and the longest mortgage we can have, uh, which I think we put like 1% down on a house, which I still don't know how we did. Uh, we put like 1% down on a house, which we shouldn't have done um, on a big mortgage. And like Madison said, that's when these acute kind of conversations about, hey, being a millionaire doesn't mean making a million dollars. It means having a net worth of at least a million dollars between all of your assets and liabilities. But let me show you what it means to be broke. Yes, we're making this kind of income, but net worth. Wise, we are like legitimately negative 107, 106 K broke. And so like Madison said, after we moved in the house and she kept having these conversations with me, it finally hit me because we grew up, you know, middle class, we grew up. We have some things. I've got an old car. Now we've got a nice car. We've got some nice property. We've got some things. So we feel like we're doing okay. But it was these hard conversations. And I really credit Madison for sticking with it. She's so strong. Uh, And so, you know, finally stuck with me. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, we're broke. We can't weather an emergency without going into even more debt. So I completely trust you. And I'm on board with whatever you say. Let's look at some data. I want to research more for myself. But yeah.
0: So I guess naturally my next question would have to be, what was that first step that you guys took once you were on the same page together? Obviously, Madison, you had done research and you'd figured out, okay, we're not in a good place. But then from that point, what was that first action step?
2: I think uh, sitting him down and showing him the numbers because he had never seen Mm -hmm. or looked at or cared to be involved in the numbers before. I had also at that point been listening to Dave Ramsey podcast and had read the book. And so I sat him down, showed him the numbers, showed him a few of the projections, you know, if you want to keep making the minimums and living this middle-class lifestyle, this is how long we're going to have this burden. If we step it up and we try to do what we can, this is how much it can shorten us, giving us this much more extra life to live and do whatever we want. Mm -hmm. Then I also told him, you know, I really would like you to read this book, The Total Money Makeover. I really would like you to re- uh, listen to this podcast so that he can yell at you instead of I, me yelling at you. <laughs> but I think just uh, have, giving him all of these different options and different ways to, to digest that information really helped.
1: Yeah, I think something that you did, honey, was I'm a very big picture person. And so not only sitting down with our current numbers but then looking at projections when she said hey this is best case scenario if nothing changes best case scenario this is where we're going to be at in 30 40 even 50 years god willing we live that long and i that's when i could see you know what i really want money of course is not everything but it can buy resources and independence and just some freedom for sure that's what this is all about and i I want to attain to a different kind of life potentially than what these projections are showing me in a best case scenario if we don't change anything. um, Maybe because I'm so, so big picture that really, I could almost see a flash forward of the rest of our lives of, you know not having the freedom to move if we wanted to not having the freedom just to have the options to go do some crazy adventure type things or to, or to use our resources to not only help ourselves but like dave says to give radically
0: hey neighbor we'll be back with more from madison and sky after this quick message from one of our sponsors did you know less than five percent of the people who buy life insurance get the right coverage for their situation Normally, life insurance is one-size-fits-all and leaves too many families to choose between a big policy that's too expensive or a small policy that's clearly inadequate. This is where my friends over at Everyday Life step in. Everyday Life is a new online insurance concierge created by fintech experts who got frustrated buying their insurance and took action. Here's how it works. Fill out their free, easy, anonymous questionnaire in under three minutes and you'll get advice and pricing for a personalized coverage plan that automatically adjusts as your needs change. With more coverage now when your family needs it most and less coverage down the road when you don't need as much, Everyday Life can save you money both now and in the future. Check out Everyday Life for your free personalized plan at elifelabs.com slash winning to wealth that's eLifelabs.com slash winning to wealth. So you lay out all the numbers for Sky, right? And then you kinda have this awakening and you come together. Then what? So we
2: get grind in. You know, the first few months, I had kind of been doing it on my own for a little while. Um so really it was just cause I've always kind of paid the bills and taking care of the finances. So I had kind of been doing what I wanted to up until then, but it was more the moral support that was like, we're in it together. Whatever we need, whatever yeah. you need to do, we can do this together. So um the numbers were cranking and rolling. We learned to live on a budget. We started cash envelopes at that time, which drastically reduced our spending because you don't think you're really spending that much money, but the card gets swiped, <laughs> the debit card. <laughs> you see these $3, $5, $7 charges when you look at your bank statement. Oh, All
1: energy drinks for me (laughs) and so
2: we started uh, giving ourselves, you know I think it was $40 it's still $40 spending cash every two weeks we budgeted groceries we started meal planning we gave our life a lot of structure and that kind of gave us these really good habits that are a little bit hard to start but once you start living it it kind of gets put on cruise control Mm -hmm. right you don't really have to try that much it's just becomes part of your life yeah which is good that we started that because Yes. Of- I would say maybe about six months after we started the journey together, we went down to one income.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of where my specific path came into play and kind of T-boned this whole situation uh, was that I thought I wanted to get out of education and was um, actually offered a sales position with Madison's medical company, her home healthcare company. So I thought, oh, this would be, this would be really neat. And so I tried that and after a month of training and then a month in the field, I was like, oh no, no, no. I have to call on and sell to hospitals. Hospitals and doctors, oh my gosh, I cannot do this. It was a huge detriment to my emotional and my mental health. Kind of all the classic, if anyone out there struggling with depression and anxiety, as someone kind of has Madison spoke to, I was very happy-go-lucky, just you know, not a care in the world. Just yeah, you do finances. I trust you. Which was very selfish of me just to push that burden on her completely and say, I trust you. You got this. You don't need me as a team member. in this Just tell me what to do. So then this thing with the job kind of unfurled and I had to step away from my own mental health and anxiety I had to step away from that position. And that was the crux of it. We put baby step two, we had just started it. We just moved into this house. We had to put it on hold and really forced us to live on one income, what being her income, um, which was a, just essential bills. We've got to keep the lights on. We've got to pay our mortgage on time. Um, and that was essentially it. Um, and so that was a big wake up call, stressful moment.
2: But it wasn't as stressful as it probably could have been. Yeah because we didn't really have to make any adjustments the way we were living. It was basically all of our necessities were on mine and his was just going to debt at that point anyway. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, okay, strap on a seatbelt. We can do this. It's going to be a little rocky, but we can do this, but we would have never been able to do that. Had we not put ourselves on that budget and given ourselves that structure and live that way for a few months for practice. Yeah.
0: I can totally relate to that. So I'll I'll share a little bit. 10 months into our journey, I actually was let go from my job, completely unexpected. I'm in sales myself. I was a top performer. It just kind of came out of the blue. The company wanted to restructure and they downsized. I mean, just completely shocking. And so I firmly believe that if we hadn't started this process of getting out of debt before that happened, it would have completely crushed us because we were living way beyond our means. And so, having those 10 months to kind of pair back our budget and get to the place that we were in at that time, it was a blessing in disguise for us. And ultimately, six months after that, you know, we were able to finish paying off our debt. But I always point to that because it, it is so crucial, like to just start on the journey because you never know kind of what's going to happen at any given moment. And so, going back, you know, you guys are married. How did you date each other as you were going on your? debt-free journey, right? Because you're living on a bare bones budget and Yeah, it's important for couples to still date each other. So how did you guys manage that?
2: Oh gosh. I would say like, it's probably a really boring answer, but we just- I
0: was put on
1: magic shows for you in the backyard. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a really boring answer, but we just truly enjoy each other's company. Yeah. It doesn't have to be out anywhere. I actually am like a, a super homebody and introvert. And so like my number one thing that I love to do, I'm like- What do I want to do this weekend? I want to sit really still in my living room with my dogs and my husband.
1: We always joke about it. We have, of course, everyone has their vices and mine are pretty typical and her vices. I
2: don't know if I have
1: a vice. She's like, no, I do. I like to sit very still. That's my (laughs) vice is sitting like, Oh, that's true.
2: And so as far as dating goes, uh, just, uh, you know, life can get busy and you can get like within your own habits, but making time for FaceTime, like Mm. not having your phones, not having my needle point, not having his music, his computer stuff (laughs) his whatever. But like sitting and looking at each other doesn't cost any money.
1: (laughs) I think a lot of folks, not only we read these Dave Ramsey and the Ramsey solution type books and everything else out there at compound effect on all these great financial books. And I think a lot of folks are also reading hand in hand, uh, self-improvement books that talk a lot about the benefits of how to be healthier mentally emotionally and physically the wonderful thing is that almost all of those activities go hand-in-hand hand with the financial best practices case in point being put your phone down you don't need cable you don't have to go see a movie all the time like just sit And whether it's reading, which is super cheap, just spending time in each other's company, going on walks outside, all these things that are great for you financially are also the exact same things that all these gurus like Tony Robbins and, you know, everyone preaches as good health practices. And we found that to be the case. And so it really helped us in a lot of ways. And then
2: also something that I just, and I think is kind of a foundational thing for any relationship is shared experiences. Mm-hmm. And so talking about, okay, so I got paid, this is what we're going to do this paycheck, even just like that is a shared experience we're in this together and so that's building and strengthening our foundation and our relationship hey I'm reading this book I really like I think you should read it too mm-hmm. and then we could come back and talk about it with each other it's just those like very small things that uh, people are like well I want to go out to a nice dinner. we still budgeted a dine-out but we weren't like going out to fancy things I think what I enjoyed most with those small shared experiences that are helping us grow together yeah. and not so much you know going out spending money that kind of stuff we
1: spent a lot of t- time at home in the evenings after work with you know lights off lamps on a nice pandora jazz playlist playing on the tv and just reading our books and that we would soon switch books after we finished them and then we would talk about them over dinner um and i think especially when you're our age and you've been married for you know what were
2: we gonna eight years
1: 27 years <laughs> 27 years eight years <laughs> like and you dated four years before that we say this all the time to each other we run out of things to talk about constantly and con- we have the same conversation a hundred thousand times, and I think some people can relate to that. But again, another unsuspecting benefit was as we're reading these books and growing, oh my gosh, now we have like some really great conversations, not just philosophically and about our independent beliefs, but what our beliefs are going to be as a unit, as a team, and what our strategy, what we want our future to look like as a team. And we get to have those really fun conversations that are always changing, you know, nothing set in stone, Uh, but that was another, another wonderful benefit.
0: So when you guys laid it all out, you had $106,000 worth of debt, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so what was your initial timeline for paying that off? And then how long did that take when all was said and done? So
2: when we when we first started when we were still on two incomes our dream of dreams goal was to put $3000 a month towards it and that would have been over 4 years but that was like our highest achievement we could do mm-hmm. because we were putting somewhere between 1500 to 2000 after we kind of cranked everything back up after he got a job where it, we weren't just on one income it kind of is crazy what can happen when you commit to something and you just kind of put all of your energy and everything into it. So our, our original projection was four years plus, and we ended up doing it in 21 months.
0: So you go through this journey, right? You're making these sacrifices, you're plugging away, you guys have joined together as a team and you're really attacking this. What did that moment feel like when you finally hit submit on that last payment?
2: We were so looking forward to it. We had this countdown. We had this in our head that when we did that, it would be a huge moment of relief and just ecstasy. And we were going to celebrate. And so we submitted it. And of course we were like, yay, it's done. Let's go do something. But then after that, you're like, It feels the exact same.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I will. I will say, you know, it's kind of like like our wedding day, like any other huge event. The anticipation just builds it up in your head, and you finally get there. It did feel so amazing. I don't want to discredit anyone out there on the journey. It feels so amazing to hit that, you know, that last button, pay off this debt. You know, it's your last one. Fill in your last little chart. It's a huge sense of accomplishment. And yet, on the flip side of that coin, there's. Especially on the on the baby steps, there's still a lot of work to be done. And you, you know, I don't want to give anyone a false sense of hope, but at least for us, we're, I consider us very intense go-getters. We're like immediately afterwards, we're like, all right, start this t- time saving for our emergency, uh, build up our emergency savings, and what's the next thing? Um And so I think for us, it's starting to hit. We're on vacation now. These next couple of paychecks are going to be the first ones that we get to start keeping and moving into savings and and keeping those numbers, so to speak, in our in our bank account. And that's where now we're starting to feel those directly those benefits of those sacrifices that oh my gosh now we were and it was funny to see how much we were actually sending out to debt because now it's that same amount we're now keeping we're like, oh my god Yeah, so i would say so it money. was
2: a it was a really like exciting moment um but it, bells didn't ring there wasn't confetti balloons going off everywhere it was just a, a very small moment between us that was a huge deal for us but the it was kind of A delayed thing, which, if you're on this journey, you're very familiar with delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. We're now a month out, and now we're starting to say, oh, okay, this is what it feels like to keep for money. Okay, I can get on board with this.
0: So the reason I asked that question is because I think a lot of people that are going on the debt free journey, I mean, you're 20 months in, 30 months in, 40 months in, however long it's taking, you know, especially when you're documenting it on Instagram and some of these other places, you kind of take that on as your identity. Right. And then when you hit that button, you're you have this expectation like, oh, life's gonna be so different now. Yeah. But it's like no you still got to clock in tomorrow you still (laughs) got like the same responsibilities are still there like life doesn't end or begin at debt freedom but i I love the fact that you brought up the the next step for you guys being the emergency fund and just kind of feeling that freedom because i can totally relate to that like even now we finished paying off our debt in february of 2016. and so we're almost four years in and there are times where I still like check my bank account or mm-hmm. check my net worth. And I'm just like, this is nuts. Like I cannot <laughs> even, I can't believe like this is happening. Yeah. And so
1: oh, I'm certain so cool. like
0: as you guys continue to grow, like you're gonna experience those same feelings. Yeah. And for me, it, it almost four years later, it still hasn't gone away. Oh, until, that's amazing. Like, that's, awesome.
1: that's encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> that's so encouraging. So, yeah,
0: and that's that's why I wanted to share that because it's it it is like it it's a long process. I, always, I don't even really refer to it as a debt-free journey much anymore. I call it just a part of the wealth-building journey. Yeah, right yeah now, absolutely. that's a great way to look at it. Because when you when you just focus on the debt, like especially when you're paying it off at such a blistering pace, it does end. And there's so much more outside of that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Finance is so much more than being debt-free. We're coming for you,
1: Vanguard. <laughs> We're coming for you. <laughs>
0: that's it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So I know you're on the vacation right now. Is this the celebration for being debt-free or was this something that was kind of already planned?
1: We took a long uh, weekend that we paid off on a Friday, Thursday or Friday. And so we took that long weekend and just said, we're not going to keep track of whatever we spend. We're not going to go crazy, but we're just going to like whatever we want to go do around town, you know, drinks, din- a nice dinner, all these kinds of things. We're going to go do it. I wanted to actually go to Hawaii. <laughs> I was like,
2: bro, you need to chill I've <laughs> oh, never been to Hawaii.
1: I'm like, come on, <laughs> let's spend a few grand. We Probably would have been closer to four or five grand because Hawaii is expensive. And let's go do it. And she's like, you don't have health insurance. We don't have an emergency fund built up. We just have that $1,000. And of course, the wonderful voice of reason convinced me otherwise. She's like, we're going to go. You're going to get do something stupid out in the ocean and get caught in a rip pad and have to go to the hospital. And we're going to be $100,000 in debt again.
0: Yeah. You know what? That's a great point because I often think a lot of people that go through this debt-free journey, at some point, they find themselves back in the debt again, because Mm. they've associated themselves with just being debt-free. And so they don't think about Mm -hmm. saving for emergency fund. They don't think about building wealth and all those other things that come after that. They're so focused on the debt-free journey that once they're done, they start kind of going back into some of those old habits Mm -hmm. and it just kind of slowly happens. So what are you guys doing? I mean, outside of just the emergency fund, is there anything you guys are doing to kind of safeguard against that happening to you?
2: I would say definitely going to be building up a beefy emergency step. We follow the Ramsey plan. So the baby step three is uh, three to six months. And we're definitely going more towards the six Six months, months. but we are going to stay very diligent about tracking every expense. We're going to keep doing our cash envelopes. Like nothing in our routine is going to change pretty much. And I think another good uh, strategy is you have to have foresight too. So instead of just planning for what's coming up tomorrow, we say, okay, what's coming up tomorrow? What's coming up in a month? What's coming up in three months? What can we expect to plan for six months in the future? So let's start building up and getting ready for that six month thing so that we're not surprised by it and have to go into debt to pay for
0: it. So then... I know you kind of mentioned Total Money Makeover, but were there any other books or courses or tools that you guys maybe listened to or read that helped you out and helped you stay motivated or, or helped you organize your finances better on the journey?
2: We listened to a lot of uh, Dave Ramsey podcasts, mm-hmm. for sure, um, especially when you just feel beat down. It kind of relights the fire. Um, we read The Compound um, Effect. The Compound Effect, The Seven. Oh, seven habits
1: effect. of Highly Effective People. Yeah. Love that, Toby. Um, mm-hmm.
2: Oh, yeah. Great book. It's
1: deep, man. Yes. I got to reread every single page. Man, this is heavy.
2: The compound effect and Seven Habits were two huge ones where it's like, just this very small changes can make such huge differences in your life. But as far as finance goes, I read, yeah, we read Simple Path to Wealth, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I just, you know, those very basic ones where it's like, you have to just get your mind right and keep it right, you
0: know? Mm Mm-hmm. You mentioned a couple of different financial people. You've got Dave Ramsey, you've got JL Collins, Simple Path to Wealth. You've got Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad, and they've all got very different perspectives oh, yeah. on wealth building. Oh, yeah. So. How do you guys plan to filter that and and what's your plan for building wealth going forward? Great question.
1: Uh you know, we love Dave's principles. We know he kind of he specifically um I think targets the masses and keeps his his message very unfiltered and very like essential fundamentals. Um when we think he is amazing, and his, his education and the strategy is really great for motivation at large. And, and for starting. And for starting. people a place to start. And hope. And getting people out of debt and beefing up your cash reserves and your capital. Um, we think, or at least I feel, I think Madison does too. We love JL Collins, keeping it simple, investing in some uh, Vanguard index funds, and sticking with it through the long haul. I actually think him, him and Ramsey, on uh, that more conservative side of things, have more in common. And I know for us, that's how we're planning on kind of merging those two beliefs together is not necessarily spending our money and taking it to an ELP Um, because we, we did, we went and visited a few financial advisors and for some of them, like we couldn't get straight answers and the fees were actually pretty high. And then we read through JL Collins book. We're like, We're we doing a lot of this other stuff, you know, on the computer and through ourselves. We feel like maybe we can, if it's as simple as opening up these accounts and knowing how to structure them tax wise and just sticking with it.
2: I think for us, it's I like that we have kind of read different perspectives so that we can pull and pick our own perspective. But for us, it will be the more conservative. route. It just feels too good not to owe anybody any money. And so we're going to probably try to stick with that going forward. We're going to instead of paying other people, try to pay ourselves as much as possible.
0: So I guess my final question to you guys would be, what would you say to the couple out there that maybe they're, they've are they just discovered their debt for the first time? Maybe one of them just discovered and they're bringing it to the other one and, and they're kind of having trouble getting on the same page with each other. They maybe don't know where to start with attacking their debt. What would you say to that couple?
2: I would say... I, I work in therapy, so I deal with presenting information to people a lot. And if somebody isn't getting something in one way, so if somebody's reading something and they don't understand it, then I show that to them in a different way. So I would say bring different modalities Bring it to him in text form, bring it to him in video form, bring it to him in audio form, because some people learn and hear things differently. That's definitely what I learned uh, when I was trying to get him on board is that he was hearing what I was saying to him, but he wasn't really understanding the message of what I was trying to say until I hit it right. You know what I mean? So making sure that you're presenting the information and not in a we have to do this. We're going to do this because it's what I want to do and we have to do it now. But in a look at what we can do together if we go into this together won't that be really exciting in 20 years if we work together really hard and we are able to reach that together mm-hmm. kind of more of in a let's let's dream together rather than i want you to do this yeah
1: let's fight each other as the person who was hard of hearing and had to be convinced uh, my suggestion my advice would be uh, two things um you should be resilient and you should be relatable and you know with res- resiliency obviously uh, it's so important. Just if it, if it's important to you, which it should be, and I believe it is, you can't stop trying to get through to the other person. Like Madison said, you have to come about it in a relatable way, not in a nagging way, but in kind of like with any adult conversation or issue, you have to keep at it. It takes hard work and you have to present the information to them in said relatable way. And you might not, you know, we've been together for a long time and it, you still might not know everything about that other person. Like, how do they process information? How do I get through to this person? Whether it's a, a personal fight or a financial fight, it doesn't matter. Um, so for me, for example, I'm big picture. I'm also visual. So her sitting down with projections, sitting down with the future, what it could look like with with actual charts and numbers and things of that nature, um, and what it means to, what net worth means and what it means to be broke as a middle-class uh, couple, that's what finally got through to me.
0: So tell the people that are listening to this where they can find you if they want to maybe follow along on your journey or they want to just be inspired by you.
2: Yeah, so the main, my main outlet, and I will also plug this, is that get you a community of people where you're talking about the same thing, mm-hmm. you're rooting for each other and the same goals because being a part of this debt-free community, I just happened upon it one day, has been life-changing because this can also feel very isolating, especially people in our age group, you know? People who are our age aren't doing stuff that we're doing and our family and our friends. And so finding people who are there for you, going through the same thing, cheering for you, are excited for you is really essential. So that's our main outlet. Um It's not it's kind of informative. It's mostly just a place to for me to blow off steam and make silly yep. videos. Um, but you can find us at uh, Getting Debt Free and DTN. Uh, that is short for Denton, not something Tennessee. So <laughs> find us there, follow along. It's mostly just for fun um, and a little educational too.
0: Madison and Scott, thank you guys so much for coming on the show. This has been great. I've had a blast laughing and just sharing cool money stories with you guys. I do want to say I really appreciate your vulnerability and openness around the area of money. Your vulnerability and openness and willingness to share may have helped somebody else see the light at the end of the tunnel for themselves. So again, thank you guys for coming on and sharing part of your story. I also want to shout out today's show sponsor. That's Everyday Life. Be sure to check them out at elifelabs.com slash winning to wealth for your life insurance needs they have some really cool stuff going on so go over there and get some more details on that Now, a few things I do want to recap as we close this episode out. Number one, being in a relationship, you have to communicate about money regularly. I know for us, we sit down every single month and we talk about what we did well and where we can improve for the next month. But I remember when my wife Taylor didn't want to hear anything I was trying to say early on. And so if you're that spouse that's bringing that information and you're trying to get the other person on board, it can be really frustrating. But just like Madison was resilient in talking to sky about their finances when he didn't really want to hear it in the beginning you have to have that same mentality and that same resilience but you also want to make sure that you're presenting that info in ways that your spouse can connect with and so i really like how once they were on the same page they would share books and discuss what they learned and the reason i like that is not just because what they learned was helping them pay off their debt But it also helped them shape the path that they wanted to take to ultimately reach the goals that they've set for 10, 15, 20 years from now. And I just think that that's super cool. Uh, It's something that I'm definitely going to talk to my wife about is book sharing and, you know, kind of discussing what we've learned there, because I just think that's an awesome strategy number two and it kind of goes back to what we just talked about with the different books is researching different money methods i mean they read personal finance books from three absolute legends in the game dave ramsey robert kiyosaki and jl collins and i'll link to those books in the show notes but all three of those guys have completely different messages and completely different strategies from one another but as they talked about these things together as a team they found out what's going to work best for them and their goals and and that's what you have to remember. Personal finance is personal. What's best for me may not be best for you. The guru that's working for me today may not be the best for my household three, five, seven, ten 10 years from now. And so keep that in mind. Personal finance is personal. Always be learning different strategies, exposing yourself to different voices and being flexible enough to tweak your plans, not necessarily the goals, but being flexible enough to tweak the way that you achieve those goals and the way that you get to those goals. So thanks again for listening and thanks again to Madison and Sky for stopping by the neighborhood and just being so open and vulnerable with their story. If you enjoyed this episode, here are a few things you can do to not only just stay connected to us, but to help us grow and reach other people with this message. And number one, that's join the wealthy neighborhood. This is a private community where we all come together and we share our money wins as we have them. We get answers to the money questions we have and things like that. The neighborhood is totally free, and you can find the link at winningtowealth.comslash neighbors. That's slash neighbors. If you're looking for some practical tips to get you started on your own money journey, you can also download our free money guide at winningtowealth.comslash guide. And in this money guide, I walk you through some of the key money wins that will get you moving in the right direction. And again, you can find that at slash guide. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to this and make sure you share it with somebody else. I mean, you can find every single thing related to this episode, including all the books that they read and all the recommendations they have for you over at winning episode one. That's winning episode one. But again, make sure you leave us a review. Make sure you give us five stars if you enjoyed the content and make sure that you share this with some Else, you know. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys back in the neighborhood very soon.